I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Welcome to this bonus episode of Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My co-host is Greg Cott. And if you want to be the first to hear our bonus podcasts, become a Sound Opinions member on Patreon, like Mike Androff. Thanks for your support, Mike. As you know, Greg and I have so much music crammed into our brains, we're always adding another track to the Desert Island jukebox. That's good fun. But, Mr. Cotter, i got to admit, I've been a little envious of you. Uh, <laughs> after all of us being stuck at home for two-plus years with the pandemic, you've been, like, on a traveling spree. So we got, like, a little on-the-road-with-Greg travelogue <laughs> right. experience bonus this well, time. Well, part of the reason for all the travel is all these weddings got stockpiled from, you know, they were supposed to happen two years ago and then yeah. one year ago, and then all of a sudden you get them all. So we had these... Yeah series of out-of-town weddings that we had to go one of which sent me to tulsa oklahoma okay and i'm going to talk a little bit about something that i saw there that i think a lot of people are going to want to hear about all right well you have i think more friends than me because the only wedding i've been to is alex's our producers and um I guess she felt she had to invite the boss, uh, you know, you and me. Uh, no, it was a joy. That was a joy. But we'll hear about Greg's trip to Tulsa right after this. All right. Greg is back from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I've been there. I, when the Flaming Lips book came out, I spent a week there one night. Mm-hmm. That was a joke. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, and I think I would, th- I would say <laughs> my opinion was similar. Like, you know, I, I probably wouldn't go to Oklahoma unless, you know, there was a particularly compelling reason to. No, they, I mean, there were great but, people there. Don't yeah, get me wrong, but, but I stayed at a hotel am, across from the Oral Roberts University, and it was all these preachers who were practicing. Yeah. It was a Saturday night. They were practicing their Sunday sermons at top volume yeah. in the rooms to the left, right, and above us. There's that part, but I, I got to tell you, I was blown away by Tulsa, and there was more stuff that I wanted to see after I left. So Deb and I, my wife, spent a couple of days just checking stuff out. And mm. going to see things, Exploring and you know, Tulsa. museums, etc. And uh, of course, the Bob Dylan Center was there, so right. I, you know, I knew I wanted to go see that. Uh, what, what's that all about? And of course, the Woody Guthrie Center is right up the street, so of course, we did a twofer in one day. But I want to talk about the Bob Dylan Center mm. since that's fairly new. Uh, just opened earlier this year. The first question you always get is why Tulsa? Well, because Woody, right? Well, you would think Dylan has never particularly <sighs> stated why he decided to sell his archive to a Tulsa-based family foundation. But that is, in fact, what happened. The George Kaiser Foundation bought this in 2016. That's the same foundation that operates the Woody Guthrie Center. So I'm sure that had something to do with it. Do with it. Anybody who knows anything about Dylan knows one of the reasons, the main reason he came to New York City mm-hmm. from upstate Minnesota, Hibbing. Hibbing, Duluth area, was to see Woody Guthrie, his mm. hero, uh, who was essentially dying in New York City at the time. So, But he got to spend some time with him uh, and obviously recorded a, a, a lot of his music, a huge influence on his life. The Canes Ballroom is in Tulsa, one of the most famous concert venues in America. That is the site where Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys reigned from uh, about 1935 to 1942. Leon Russell's from Tulsa. 
Dylan was there recording a track with Leon in the early 70s. That's where uh, Watching the River Flow came from, mm -hmm. recorded at Russell's studio there. So anyway, there are plenty of reasons why Dylan may have decided to do this. His enthusiasm for the project, I mean, he never plays, lays all his cards on the table. He's never but super he, enthusiastic about anything. But he did create a sculpture that mm. is the first thing you see as you walk into the museum. So it's, it's sort of a doorway, and it's kind of a beautiful piece of art. I, uh, I have to say it was a terrific experience there. I know the archivist a, a little bit, and um, you know he's a wonderful tour guide uh, for us. An immersive film experience is there. There's a performance space, a studio where visitors can play you know, mixologist with the different elements of instrumentation <laughs> in the songs, a curated tour where you can sort of go through different aspects of his career. There's more than 100,000 items there, Jim. Wow. Um, uh, some, some of them can only be accessed by scholars, and I'm going to touch on that in a minute. You know, when I asked Deb what she loved the most about it, she was really taken with the exhibits that showed Dylan taking us through a song. Mm. With, in other words, the lyrics, how they evolved over time. She had never heard uh, Joker Man, for example, uh, mm. you know, one of the tracks from his uh, 80s albums that people generally dismiss. She, she loved the song. She loved the way it was presented. She loved the way it was presented in terms of how he evolved the lyrics. It was one of those songs that was really uh, worked on by Dylan. He edited and re-edited that song a number of times. That was pretty cool. The other thing that I want to talk about is the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. There is a ton of Dylan in progress lyrics for unfinished songs, finished songs. On the flip side of the typewritten version of Subterranean Homesick Blues, mm. one of his most famous yeah. tracks, he began working on a track paying tribute to his lady love at the time, Mavis Staples. Ah, uh, yeah. So I was Pops, close, very I interested marry that in that, girl. right? Yeah. And he started working on some lines for yeah. uh, Mavis, a song about Mavis. Wow. She sings the blues in a long white robe. Here's a couple of lines I'm quoting. I dream she's singing in my sleep, but worse, I wake up thinking that I'm in church. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't think his thoughts were entirely pure I don't think he was talking about, about you know, I, I'm not necessarily a church-going guy, but yeah. Mavis is there, so I want to yeah. hear that. But it, it's a, a fascinating glimpse into his mindset at the time. And I'm thinking, you know, Subterranean Homesick Blues was written around 19, late 64. Yeah. This would have been circa that era. Mm -hmm. And it's just great to see what was on Dylan's mind at the time. Mavis. You know? These little bits and pieces of, of information that I thought I knew a lot about Dylan. I learned a lot more going to visit it. So, well, you, you know, certainly good reason know, to go to Tulsa. Having written the biography, you certainly know a lot about Mavis. I wish, I bet you wish you had that anecdote. Oh my God! In I'm the saying, book, I, I need more of this. I need to yeah. find more of these kind of things to to sort of enhance what was going on between these two incredible human beings in the '60s. Well, unlike the vast majority of too many podcasts out there, GK, uh, which are a couple of self-important white guys talking at each other, we are, you know, a, a music so have you got a song to like give us a little taste of in honor well, of I, you uh, know, Dylan I, and Mavis? I, I, you know, there's plenty of that. And but I, I was actually thinking, you know, maybe a little bit of Joker Man because it's oh, sort yeah, of one there of those underrated tracks. Go. And there's actually an alternate version of Joker Man that exists on one of the box sets that came out subsequently ah, to it. So the right. track that made the record wasn't necessarily the track that uh, Dylan was initially working on, and the box set sort of gives you a glimpse of the a work in progress nature of the song. It was more regified in this version, and, and a number of the lyrics were changed. But mm. it, it's up to the listener to decide, did he make the right move here? Did he, did he change the lyrics for the better or, or for the worse? 
uh, you can be the judge. But I, I think it's a nice look at what, what Dylan, and I think the whole thing about a museum like this is it, it takes you into process. How is a genius artist, what is his process? What, mm -hmm. uh, what path did he take to get to this final goal? But with truth so far off, what good will it do? Joker man dance to the nightingale tune, bird fly high by the light of the moon. Oh, oh, Joker man. So swiftly the sun sets in the sky. You rise up and say goodbye. Little bit of uh, Joker man in work in progress from Dylan, Greg's trip to Tulsa. Do they have a gift shop? At the museum? They sure do. And uh, you didn't, like, bring me a snow globe? You didn't bring me anything? Well, you know, I, I wanted to bring you a, uh, a Woody Guthrie T-shirt, but my daughter claimed it. So, oh, yeah, that, that this machine fault. kills yeah, fascists? Yeah, that's right. Oh, I put a record out with that title. <laughs> Man, Katie Cott, I'm going to have a word with you. That is it for this bonus episode. To support Sound Opinions, become a member on Patreon and connect with other listeners in our Facebook group. As always, Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo, and our intern, Lauren Holt. Our social media consultant is Katie Cott. Thanks for listening.